Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Hi, John. I'm doing well. How are you doing today? All right. How's the sound? Uh, it sounds not too bad. It, it got, we got a, it sounds like you're in a, a little bit of an open room, but I'm assuming you're not right at home today. So are, are you traveling this uh, afternoon? Actually, I am in the middle of making a big dinner tonight. And so for dinner, we're having sunchoke and leek soup and paella. Ah, very nice. You're gonna make you're gonna make the the listeners hungry today. Now we're gonna have to prepare some lunch for everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, we we should go back to pretending that this is early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so what's what's up with you, Stacey? It's been a little while. It has been a little while. I've been busy this week. I've been on the road. I have been uh, uh, doing some work in my home office in Atlanta, uh, working on some designs for our database strategy that we've been working on for the last year. Um, and uh, I'm home now, finally, uh, which is uh, why our schedule is a little bit off track this week. So. No, I was in Chicago. I just got out of Chicago before the storm hit. Um, and- uh- and I flew from Chicago to Minneapolis, um, and it was snowing so hard that they had a de-icer truck next to the plane the entire time we were on the runway. Uh, so oh, wow. Yeah. I, I have never been more delighted to live in California. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, those are scary times. I had a few people who were at my meeting who were heading back to Chicago. I think they made it back in time. But, yeah, it um, – I remember those days waiting on the tarmac in, in Cleveland with the snow and the de-icers. And I have to admit, um, I, I don't miss that right now. I, I, uh, and if possible, I try and stay at all events that are south of the uh, uh, Mason-Dixie line this time, right? So, <laughs> so what's, in the, what's in the mailbag this week? What are we going to talk about? Well, what's surprisingly, it's not all. Yeah, it, it's been a, a somewhat busy week, although we've been traveling and running around the country. Um, other things are going on. Um, Oracle made some interesting news this week. They hired a new uh, CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, from AWS. So that's worth probably having some discussion about because I think it, it harkens back to, to where uh, Larry sees his big competitor and their focus on uh, cloud uh, versus individual functionality. Um, Cornerstone did a big acquisition. I haven't, you know, Cornerstone hasn't done an acquisition in a while. Uh, they did a, a pretty major acquisition for them. They acquired a company called Clustree to build the leading AI-powered skills platform for people development, um, paying about $18.5 million for what is essentially a, a skills database. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking you're going to have fun with this one because it basically says it's a skills database that was created with algorithms with or they called it bias-free algorithms, John. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that one. <laughs> but that's going to be, a, I think, an interesting conversation. We also um, saw our friends Feed on People do another round of uh, funding raising. So Feed on People raised $30 million for their AI recruitment platform used by uh, um, multiple organizations. And then we also saw that Modern Health, which is another sort of HR technology, but more in the healthcare space, raised $31 million to um, accelerate the reach of mental health benefits. Not something we hear as much about, but something that is still a benefit um, and surprisingly still somewhat separated in many uh, cases. Um, 
Workboard also um, raised another $30 million. Uh, Workboard is a SaaS startup that provides goal setting and management software. So performance management, I've seen them slightly in the market. It'd be worth sort of talking about, you know, why we're seeing so much investment in some of these technologies that are considered still niche players in the market today. Um, and then if we've got a little bit of time today, PageUp launched a new recruitment marketing software. So PageUp, we haven't heard a lot about. Obviously, they're in Australia with all the stuff going on in Australia the market right now. I'm sure um, it has um, been a bit for them to get their, their new products out. Um, but they were able to uh, just last week launch their new uh, basically recruitment marketing software, which was, goes in front of their recruiting application. So it's been a busy week, as busy as we've been. Everybody else has been busy as well, John. Well, you've got to start the year at some point in time. It was a slow start. It was, yes. I would have to say. I think I, all of us were coming back last week to all of our um, uh, upcoming webinars and upcoming events, and we're all feeling like we're just a couple weeks behind where we should be at. So I think you were uh, hit it head on on our last call that everybody had taken just a little bit longer holiday this year. So. Cool. So let's talk about Oracle. Oracle stole a CMO from Amazon Web Services. Yep. So, Which so is, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, when you, if, if you, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to uh, make some plans for the travel to the Oracle's uh, modern business event that they have each year. Um, we do try and capture as much information as possible about what they're doing with their customers in the Oracle HCM cloud. But when you go to many of their events, the big conversation ends up being about the cloud uh, solution that they're creating, the, the, the idea of having a public um, model that is available but still has these, you know, cubes that people can use, so a mixture of sort of private and public. Um, and if you sort of played a drinking game with the amount of times that Larry mentions Amazon, you'd be quite drunk at the end of most of, of those events. So, um, so yeah, so this is, this is a, a definitely another shot in that direction, saying that we want to be a major competitor with Amazon um, more than some of the other organizations that, that we talk about on a regular basis, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, this has been a, um, an ambition, an unrealized ambition of oracles for some time. Right? They, they, they like to say they're one of the top um, cloud providers, but they're the only ones who ever say that. So, so maybe, maybe, that, yeah. maybe the secret uses marketing and having a new chief marketing officer for Oracle who's from Amazon. Um, who would have guessed 20 years ago that that um, that being the chief marketing officer at Amazon, being the chief marketing officer, no, this guy was the vice president of marketing. He was a vice president under the line, at yeah. Amazon, who would have guessed that that was a step to ru to be running marketing at something like Oracle? Nobody. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Things have really and changed, it, even though they feel very much the same. They really have. You know, it, when I went back and did that that exercise we did at the first of the year, and we started looking back, it's amazing to to really think that you know, when we first started talking about Amazon, and it was just not even quite 20 years ago, right? You know, they 
they were a bookstore, right? That was, and no one would have guessed that they would have ended up where they were at, right? So um, I guess that, that, that's just a cautionary tale for everyone. Never, never count anyone out as far as what their possibilities in the future could be, especially in this day and age, right? Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing story. So now, Cornerstone buys Clustery um, um, to have an AI-powered skills platform. How many AI-powered skills platforms do you think there are? I don't know. I don't, this was a, I mean, my sense on this is this is a direct um, uh, response to what's going on over at Workday on some sense. I mean, Workday created their skills framework. They've invested heavily in that. I know that um, Cornerstone was trying to leverage all of their background and experience and tools to pull together the ontology from their learning processes, right? But I think probably what must have happened is that they came up short and realized they needed to buy that data set. What I found was sort of interesting was that, you know, they were, you know, the language they're using here of a, a bias-free, right, um, algorithm that was used to develop this skills set, that, that's pretty bold to say something is completely bias-free, right, at this point? Um, it's um, silly to say. It's, 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 not, it's not just odd, but it's silly. There are only a very few people left who make any such claims about artificial intelligence that, that they're the, the data set or the output is bias-free because da- data without context is meaningless and context is bias. Um, okay, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's actually not very hard, but, but there are a lot of people who sold a lot of investors on the idea that they could make money by being bias-free. And so it's a hard thing to step back from. Yeah. Well, Clusteries is going to have an ontology based on the consolidation of over 1 billion job skills across multiple languages, which is an interesting one because we don't see a lot about languages and differentiations in that, into a library of 53,000 verified skills that accurately describe an employee profile from any industry. Now, you've also been following what Google's doing in this space. Is 53,000 a, a, a big number here? I think it's kind of a standard number. I saw one this morning from a company called myabilities.com. God knows where they're from, but myabilities.com promises 50,000 skills, and they promise 50,000 skills organized around the idea of the relative physical activity required in those skills. Right. Okay. Uh, and so, okay, and then IBM, this is the heart of the IBM initiative. Um, Sally.com has a massive system of this sort of thing and and is often the source of taxonomies for people who are trying to run large enterprise systems that don't have operating taxonomies currently. Um, And so so I count, oh, geez, um, Burning Glass has one. Uh, this is like this is like the part-time sport for people who want to uh, re-envision HR is to build a skills uh, matrix. But one of the things that's really interesting is you can st- you could I suppose 
define all of the skills associated with the job, although I'm not sure that that's a really useful thing to do. It's really, really challenging to get that data in a in, a, in an extraordinary form out of a resume database, right? And so, so the only reason nobody's going to look through a library of 53,000 verified skills. Nobody's going to review each and every one of them. Um, and so the question is, how deep is the skill information, and how do you how do you compare it to what somebody's resume says? These are and, and the definite yeah the definite focus here is matching with the building a skills inventory for precise growth development and informed recruiting decisions is what they say right yeah it's so challenging because I, I was listening to somebody talking the other day who was <clears throat> um out over out over her skis I guess is what I'd say and and she said something like the way you take bias out of a resume analysis is you don't look like, you don't look at extracurricular activities. But if you do look at extracurricular activities, you can see things like I ran the student government at the University of Michigan for two years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and while that's an extracurricular skill, if the job requires the leadership of large groups of people who don't have any reason to follow you, uh, and that's a, that's an important skill, you've got to be able to pick that up out of the resume. Uh, but the um, um, operating theory in some of these places is you can't look at data like that. And so, so I don't know. I think there's a lot of smoke and not a lot of fire in this skills matching stuff. Well, and the other piece that I think that everybody really needs to be talking about is the maintenance of these databases. Now, now, maybe you can give me some insight on this. If they're building them with an ontology and algorithms, does that mean they should be self-perpetuating, feeding themselves in some way? Or is, is you know, because what I find is that most of the organizations who are talking about this skills management neglect to talk about how it gets maintained on a regular basis with input from the end users continuously reassessing it. I think that was one of the things I thought that Workday had taken some time to address when they were talking about their tools. Is that is that a concern that should be brought up here? Of course it is. That's a, that, that's a really great point. There are some <clears throat> there are some places with automated maintenance and really deep. Um, data sets underneath each individual skill. So when you say there's a library of 53,000 skills, you could mean a list of 53,000 skills. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, so it's you know, 50 per page, so it's a 1,000 or 1,500 page document with a list of skills in it. Or you could mean a comprehensive um, analysis that shows what training you need to do to achieve the skill, how you identify mastery of the skill, and the evolution of that skill as it goes over time and technology changes around it. And, and nobody ever talks about that very clearly because it, it, it can be exhausting um, in its depth. And as you rightly point out, maintenance is a real trick when you've got this much data and the only way that you can validate or verify it is with some 
automated comparison against the flow of jobs that are going into the market. Right. So, so all of this stuff will be um, um, a reduction of the data that's in job ads posted over the last X years. Right. That that's how you get to fifty-three thousand verified skills. Yeah. Exactly. And and I have a hard time, and maybe it's the old competency manager inside of me, not feeling like we're just creating a new format for the binders that used to sit on my shelf of competencies, right? So, and maybe maybe I'm I'm a little jaded on this front because of that, because I spent years building binders that were outdated before they were you know printed, and so, <laughs> well. Well, you know, it's, it's definitely, like you said, this is a, a space that's going to get really crowded and, and there's going to be a lot of hype. And I think the, the end um, game will be, can you keep it updated? Can you make sure that it actually achieves some outcomes? Um, can you ad- sort of understand your biases um, and build to those biases in some extent, right? Making sure that they are acknowledged and thought through and what they cause. Um, and those are some of the things I think a lot of these organizations have to maybe um, take a step back from right now. So. Well, there's another question, too, which is there's no agreement anywhere on whose ontology is right or close to right or what they have in common. Yeah. So, so it's pretty easy to imagine working for a company that uses the workday ontology um, and then going to a work for a company that uses the cornerstone ontology and going to work for a company that uses the IBM ontology. Let's say, let's say let's say you took those three jobs in a row, and discovering when you show up that what you thought were skills are no longer skills, yeah. because there's no translation or standardization across the data sets. Yeah, it's a, and and I can remember those conversations when we were talking about competencies within industries, right? whole groups of industry people try to get together to create the competency models, right? Um, at least for especially those that are certified industries, right? Um, and this this concept then gets wider and more nuanced, I guess, when you start adding technology and quick decisions made off of that, right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So what about our friends at Phenom People, John? I mean, another $30 million for their AI recruitment platform. Now they mentioned in the commentary, we're, you know, we're a Microsoft, you know, Microsoft's a client of ours, but there's still around just 300 companies leveraging their tool. Now 300 very large companies, I'm assuming, based off of the numbers and things that they have posted. But um, what's this round of 30 million for at this point? I mean, I, I, we, Phenom people have been in the market for a while now. Is there a point at which you should expect some of this stuff to be able to sort of stand on its own? Or is this just, because of where this market is at, it just requires so much technology and you know higher level skill sets on the AI side that, is, that we just have to keep sort of feeding it with uh, funding. Well, well, Phenomenal People has become a pretty interesting, massive organization, right? 500, 500 people in the company means that, that you might expect it to have $50 million in revenue. Um, um, and so, so one of the things that happens in the early days of SaaS is you get credit for sales, but you can't spend the money, right? The, the bookkeeping for SaaS accounts is, is crazy. And so it takes a while 
to catch uh, the bookkeeping up. And, and, and a lot of times these sorts of deals allow you to continue to grow by keeping the bookkeeping legit. Um, and it really is just a, another tank of gas on a long drive. Uh, and so, so I expect of all the, of all the recruiting companies who come up in the AI era, Phenom People is by far the most interesting and the most powerful. So, so I expect this is another step in the right direction. Gotcha. Okay. And so, so I mean, you've seen a lot of what they're doing on the AI front, um, and, it, and it sounds like that's where they plan to continue to make more investments. Um, will their will where their tools be something that are, that's going to wow us in the next year or so, uh, based off of what you've seen? Well, it's a, it, they're, they're starting to have a pretty comprehensive um, experience for employees. So it starts with the employment website knows who you are and gives you things that are relevant to you, content and job possibilities and stuff like that. You, you go through the hiring process, and the AI is implemented across the hiring process, you get inside and, and internal mobility is operated the same way. And so, um, and I believe, I'd have to look, but I believe they have a, um, a candidate communications system too, so you can keep the employment pipelines full. And, and it's starting to look like a comprehensive recruiting solution with the kind of legs into the organization with onboarding and um um, internal mobility that are what talent management should look like, I think. So, with the so level I'm of personalization. Obviously, impressed with them. Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting this concept about personalization. So, I, I before I sort of pulled some of the, the conversations that are happening in the HR space this week, I went and took a quick look to see was there anything at CES, you know, the show that, that comes out every year, um, technology around this time of year. Um, that would pique an interest or, or sort of fell into our area. Not a lot. Most of it was what you would consider inner things, you know, washing machines that talk to you and toothbrushes that tell you how, you know, hard it is to, you know, brush your teeth and more watches and those type of things. But the one thing that I think sort of hits them along these same lines is um, there was a, a um, tool that was sort of not launched there. It's actually, I guess, open out in the market, but was talked about at the event called Delta's Parallel Reality. And basically what Delta has developed in the, the, the airline in conjunction with misapplied sciences is a new technology that enables uh, one airport screen to display unique personalized travel information, specific boarding gates, departure delays, sky club locations to 100 different people simultaneously at the same time based on their language, you know, what language they want to see, what's unique to them which means that screen is automatically seeing them coming, updating, and they're seeing what's unique to them and other people aren't. I'm not exactly sure how the technology works, but they're saying it's, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, is this the world we're heading into where everybody has their own personalized experience of everything, right? Well, so, so I was listening to Pandora last night on a ride somewhere, and Pandora kept hitting the mark with music that I wanted to listen to. And and a lot of it was music I'd never heard before, so so I thought, oh yeah, with music you want to reach a, an audience of one, and so 
So all of the artificial intelligence stuff is great if you're trying to reach an audience of one with a specific agenda inside of a finite universe. And my guess is you'll see more and more and more audience of one kind of experiences. That's really where they're headed with the employee experience idea. And that, that was the one thing I think the Norma Crossover, I would agree, you know, we're, we're seeing more of this. And the question becomes, how does that fit with um, industry-specific needs or with the idea that you always have to improve a, a piece of technology to create best practices? Does the idea of best practices inside of technology actually work with an audience of one concept, right? Um, I think that's going to be the other conversation we're going to start having this year a lot more. Because best practices assume there's an average for everyone, right? Um, or that you can that you can collect enough information so that you'd know. And, and there are clues out there. You know, the the airlines certainly have all of my travel history, and so it's pretty easy to predict where I might want to purchase a ticket or where I might want to go or what kind of hotel I might want to stay in. Um, um, and I listen to a lot of music, so so as Pandora starts to notice what I listen to, it gets this interesting idea of me. And the, I guess the question will be for the other kinds of personalization: is how do you collect the data, and what makes what sense do you make out of it? Well, and, and that actually maybe leads into the the, the last topic we might want to cover this uh, week, which is modern health. So. Modern Health raised $31 million in the Series B funding, and they're an organization that focuses on mental health benefits, um, providing them, uh, providing the tools that would support that. Um, it is, uh, they say that, the, that it is a, a tool that is, basically creates a better offering beyond what is offered by major medical health plans or legacy EAPs. Um, it's a modern health environment with different approaches for what people should be taking for their mental health care. This is an area where, again, now we're crossing that line. Do I want my company to know that much about me, right? Is this, I do. And yet we're, we're spending a, an enormous amount of money investing. I've seen multiple, this is not the only one we've talked about in the last six months of something to do with mental health where there's been getting some big investments this year. Uh, is this another area where you're hearing that also? I mean, I mean, what happens if you've got this data inside a company, you're recruited into another company, and you know, where does that information go, right? Well, I, I, I think you'd be nuts to utilize a system like this, right? The, the, the basic thing that they talk about is, is mental health has stigma associated with it. Yeah. And... Um, um, I don't know. I, I don't know a lot of companies that have earned their employees' trust to the point that employees should feel comfortable um, letting the company know about their mental health. And even more interesting is the question of the recommendations that the company makes about mental health. Right? Uh, is, is, do I really want my company to tell me how to solve my depression? I don't know. And do I really want the company to have in their records that I'm depressed occasionally or that I struggle with depression? Because depression has these two sides. 
the highest performers almost always struggle with depression. And that's the face of depression that's high performance. And then some people are debilitated by it. And some people alternate between those things and are super productive. But if you have that data in the hands of an idiot, um, and they think that depression is only one thing, and they've got a stereotypical view of depression, all sorts of weird stuff can happen, right? That's that's the problem with a data-driven world is the people who consume the data may not be qualified to consume the data. And so yeah. this doesn't talk about how you qualify people to consume the data. And, and that's the thing I think that's across the board with all of the recommendations that are being put out in the market, right? Um, what do you do if you find that 20, I mean, even if we don't go down to the individual level, right? If you just find out that 20% of your workforce um, is prone to depression, what's your step with that, right? At a, at a, at a team or enterprise level, right? Well, so what if 20% of your workforce has that problem and most of them work in a single division under a single group of bosses. Um, and, and so what you've just done is create evidence of, of liability for um, injury, right? <laughs> so, so, so while I understand how interesting it is to know about that and that it would be great for solving problems, I think the lawyers are liable to go, are you kidding me? You know, and so and so there's this difference between what's possible and what's likely to happen that you have to figure out on this particular one. And and I think that goes back to you know some of the stuff that that we've been talking about for the last couple of um, uh, you know months now. You know, the same thing. You know, the the higher view lawsuit. You know, all of this is is going to get ahead of the laws and the ethics and the regulations. You know, it's it's a matter of, of who's gonna who's gonna get you know caught first. It might be a, a poor way of saying it, but but who's gonna be the first company to to feel the brunt of somebody saying, hey, this was done incorrectly or it was used against me, right? Um, and right. so um, you know, time will tell. It's not to say that I don't agree, and I, and I, and I do want to say that I do actually think we need to fix how we address mental health inside of our companies, and so I don't. I, I do think we should probably be careful about being too much of a naysayer. It is important to make this an easier environment. I mean, I know I can remember when I was going through challenges after my husband passed, trying to access any type of support through a traditional EAP environment was the most painful and, to be honest, ridiculous process I've ever went through. So I don't disagree that it needs to be, you know, improved, but I do think we need to, to – Monitor it closely, right? <laughs> I, you know what, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I'm not really a naysayer here. There, there is people spend the vast majority of their time working for their companies, and there's every reason to think that a company is positioned well to help with mental health issues. But um, that kind of data is precious and involves a level of trust that doesn't necessarily exist between employees and their companies and my sense is you have to work on the trust part first. Darn it. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I think that's a, a great place for us to sort of wrap the conversation this week. I think that uh, maybe in the next couple of uh, conversations we can investigate are the companies actually, you know, gaining more trust? There's been some some research on that too, so maybe that's worth a while looking up as well. So that'd be great. Love to see it. So thanks for doing this again. Another great conversation. Um, um, and thanks everybody for tuning in. We were at an awkward time this week, but we'll be back to normal next. Um, see you around next week. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harris and John Sumpter. Bye bye now. Bye, everyone.